Father, I love, love, love what you're doing amongst this body. Um, but Lord, we're getting ready to step into our topic of today. So all kidding aside, uh, Father, I pray that you would open up your word, that you would challenge our thinking on this topic. And Lord, I pray that your words would remain and whatever I introduce from my personality to things that aren't to be remembered, that they would just fall to the ground. Jesus, may you increase, may we decrease always. In Christ's name we pray, amen. And I mentioned earlier, Camp Redstone Kids will remain with us today because it is the last Sunday of the month. Okay, we've gone through our recap and we are going to jump into our new topic but before we do so, Allie Kimball is here. So Allie is going to read our passage today. Uh, and before you do so, Allie, do you mind standing? Uh, very good. Great passage. We're going to come back to it multiple times. Um, but let's, let's jump, go ahead and jump in. So recap, God is perfect and holy. We have an obstacle of sin. Um, he sends Jesus, God sends Jesus, his one and only son to us. And then we learned last week that he is the propitiation. He is the mercy seat. This is the place where God comes and he meets with sinful man and he takes all of our sins away. It really is incredible. Today we're going to look at four important truths and you already heard it in my little ditty a few moments ago that I sang. Today we are going to look at seeing if the clicker will work. Uh-oh, there we go. Okay, we're going to look at eternal life. Eternal life. So there's four important truths. Now, I will say this up front as we step in. This ended up being a lot harder topic than I thought that it would be. I found myself confessing um, to you all, I found, found myself early on just trying to get some points together for a sermon um, and I was really struggling with it. So Jerry had become a sermon presenter instead of someone who was trying to give truth that God was giving to him to give to the body. And I had to repent of that. Um, it was a struggle. Eternal life, I mean, how hard can that be? You'll see as we go through it, there's some challenges with this particular topic. So before we jump in, I'm going to ask Two questions. I don't want you to stand up and answer because it sounds like something that I would ask you to do. But the first question is, do you truly love Jesus? Good. And I hope you always will. Do you truly love Jesus? And the second question is, is anyone envious of your intimate walk with Jesus? Good. I love having the kids in here. This is great. Do you love Jesus? And when people watch you and your, as you live out your Christian walk, are they envious of what they see? And if the answer to those are not really, then I would suggest to you that you really don't understand the concept of eternal life. And I hope that after today we have a better understanding of what eternal life is. So we've looked at what salvation is, but now we're kind of moving into today 
like the benefits of belief in Jesus. So I read an article this week, and the article said that if you live until 2050, that they may have enough technology in place that would enable you to live forever. There's this push to live forever so they can maybe replace your brain, replace your heart, replace all of your body parts. My shoulder's gone, my back's gone, and they can replace all of those things. And if they continue to replace them through proper diet, through the right herbs and medicines and everything else, that people could live forever. Well, that's hogwash. We understand that that's not going to happen, but there's, uh, there's a desire on this earth for people to, to live forever because no one really understands what happens after death, although we do through the Word of God. And I remember as a kid, I would go to bed when I was in elementary, and I would lie there at nighttime thinking about this concept of eternity, everlasting. And it would mess with me because, okay, I get it eternity you go and you go and you live and you live you live you live a thousand years and then you live another thousand years and then you live another thousand years but at some point it ends right and I didn't understand that I still don't fully understand that and I struggled with it and it was because of that that when I would hear about hell or heaven underneath the umbrella of eternity or eternal life okay well I would rather if I'm going to live forever be in heaven than be in hell and a lot of times that's the way that we present what eternal life is as it relates to what happens after death Jesus changed that in me this week as I jumped into the topic but first let's return to the passage itself so here's the passage this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life and this life is in his son whoever there's the whoever and the whosoever's whoever has the son has life whoever does not have the son of God does not he's pretty declarative here does and does not does not have life and he says I write these things to you who believe in the name of the son of God that you would know that you have eternal life so there's belief and then there's the benefits of belief so what is eternal life well let me back up first off the purpose if you'll this is apostle john in john chapter 20 after he wrote the gospel of john he says this is why i wrote the gospel of john he says i write these things so that you may believe that Jesus Christ, and that believing you might have life in his name. Okay, he does the same thing to us right here in 1 John. He says, I write these things to those of you who believe in the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Okay, so what is eternal life? This is the definition that Jesus himself gives for eternal life. Eternal life, this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So Jesus is defining eternal life as knowing, 
living in good standing with, having, uh, having unbroken fellowship with God himself through Jesus Christ. Whereas in our mind, we link it to after death, what happens is eternal life. Jesus says eternal life is knowing God and Christ Jesus whom you have sent. Well, that's different. That's different, and we're going to step in and talk about what that means to us. So, four truths. Truth number one is this. My clicker's really struggling this morning. Come on. Ah, there we go. So truth number, oops, you saw truth number two too. Truth number one, a relationship with God through Jesus Christ is eternal life. There can be no understanding of what eternal life is unless it starts with a relationship with Jesus Christ. Let me read a couple of passages to you, okay? So listen to these two. This is 1 John 1, 1 and 2. I'm not going to put it up on the screen. 1 John 1, 1 and 2. Listen carefully. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life was manifest, it was made known, and we have seen it, and we testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life. Jesus is the eternal life. 1 John 5, 20. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know Him who is true and we are in Him who is true. In His Son, Jesus Christ. Listen to this. Listen to these last few words. Jesus is the true God and eternal life. If we want to know what eternal life is, it begins with Jesus himself, not with time. Now, all of that connects and intersects with us, which we will see, but you cannot define eternal life as God has presented it to us unless it's tied to his son, Jesus Christ. Well, that's not the way I thought of eternal life when I was struggling on my bed. Truth number two, eternal life is immediately granted upon belief in the gospel. Immediately upon belief in the gospel. It is not a future thing that will happen once you breathe your last breath. I'm going to read a couple of passages. I could read more. I'm going to read three. 1 John 5.11, which we have already looked at, this is the testimony that God gave, past tense, us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has, present tense, the Son has, present tense, life, or eternal life. John 11.25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life, Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Well, why is that and how can that be? Because believing in Christ, we are giving, given this gift of eternal life. And we know John three sixteen: whoever believes in him should not 
perish but have eternal life or have everlasting life. The point is that it's not a future event only, but when we put our faith, when we put our belief in the gospel as we are trying to articulate it, when we say, I believe that, I repent of my sins, I believe that Jesus has died for me and that I am the sinner and that my only hope of ever getting to heaven will be what he has done and not what I do. When that happens, he forgives us of our sins, but not only that, the Spirit of God, which is himself eternal, the Holy Spirit comes to reside within us and he shall never die. He will live within you forever and ever. You have eternal life because of your belief and your relationship with the eternal God. Point number three, or truth number three. And this one's a harder pill to swallow. This is where my struggle came from this week. The reality of eternal death slash punishment for those who reject the gospel is just as real as the reality of eternal life for those who believe it. Now we're going to spend a little bit of time on this one and we're going to think it through carefully. And it's not going to be easy to work our way through. This is hard. This is one of the reasons that people will reject Christianity. Why would God do that? Why would he send people to hell for eternity? Some people will bypass this, and some religions will bypass it, and they will say, eh, we just reject that notion. We believe in reincarnation that this God, this being, or these beings will take your spirit and allow you to live again through someone else or through something else. So really no one ever dies, they're just reincarnated. Others that would call themselves Christians would say, no, we believe that eternal life, as you're talking about, is for those who believe, granted. However, if you choose to reject the gospel and not believe the gospel, when you breathe your last death, you are no more. You just don't live anymore. Your spirit dies. Your soul does not remain. There is no hell. That is only for the devil and his angel if that exists, but it does not exist for those that reject the gospel. So that's an easy out. I've got friends that would say, that and that would believe that and that makes their Christianity so much easier to be able to share with people here's the problem that's not what scripture teaches I have an obligation to give you truth I have to share these things with you and we have to wrestle with them no matter how hard they may be so let me read a couple of passages to you Matthew 25, and I'm going to read, and you can make a note of these and go back and look at them later. Matthew 25, I'm going to read verses 41, and I'm going to read verse 46. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, 
into the eternal fire prepared prepared for the devil and his angels. Okay, it, it does bring comfort to my soul to know that hell was designed for the devil and his angels. However, and he says, and these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. So he's clearly talking about unbelievers. Eternal punishment versus eternal life. He's, he's taken those two words, these two concepts, eternal life and eternal punishment, and put them at opposite extremes. It's binary. It's either A or it's Z in this case. Matthew 18, 8 through 9. Jesus says, And if your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. Throw it away. It's better for you to enter life crippled or lame with two than with two hands or two feet and be thrown into eternal fire. If your eye causes you to sin, tear it out, throw it away. It's better you to enter life with one eye than with two eyes and be thrown into the hell of fire. His point is, whatever it is, whatever this obstacle of sin is that is keeping you from believing, it's not worth it. In another passage that I don't have in my notes, Jesus says, what profits you if you gain the whole world? but you forfeit your own soul. What can a man give in exchange for his soul? There is a hell. It was prepared for the devil and his angels. But when we say, no, thank you, we reject him, that is where unbelievers will go. Jude 7 speaks of Punishment of eternal fire. 2 Thessalonians 1.9 speaks of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord. I can read others. These aren't easy. You see the struggle that's there. It's good news. It is gospel. But in this moment, it doesn't feel so good because we understand the ramifications of unbelief. I recently read a story by the famous uh, magician, Gillette Penn. You know, Penn and Teller. Yeah, he, they're amazing. They're brilliant with what they can do with magic. And Gillette Penn, he goes by Penn. You know, Penn tells a story of um, a Christian that came to one of his magic shows. And at the end of the magic show, he gives him a Bible. And inside of the Bible, he had written a very kind note to him because he knew that Gillette Penn was a devout atheist. He is a devout atheist, and he was worried that Gillette Penn, as funny as he is, as brilliant as he is, because of his rejection of the gospel, that he was going to go to hell. So he tried as best as he could to share that gospel message and to give him, and if you choose to not believe, you're going to go to hell, and I don't want to see that happen to you. And Penn was so thankful that this Christian had written such a thing to him. But what it did was it reinforced in his heart and in his mind why he doesn't believe it. Because he said, this is his logic, this is going to sting for all of us. If that is really true, 
And if Christians really believe that, why are they not beating on my door to share this good news with me and, and, and share with me, no matter what cost, that if I choose not to believe this, that I will go to eternal fire. I have rarely heard this come from another Christian to my ears. Therefore, I don't believe it. And I don't think Christians believe it either. That was his conclusion. What lengths would we go to share the gospel with unbelieving people? Or do we really believe it to begin with? If we truly believe the goodness of God, he is good, 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 and we believe he's merciful and that he is the mercy seat, and it is there that he comes to sinful man to give himself as a propitiation because he doesn't want us to go to hell. If we truly believe that, at what lengths will we go? It will be shown in your actions and in my actions what we do believe and what we don't believe. I said there's four truths. Truth number four. The heartbeat of Jesus is that we do believe and possess eternal life with him and with each other. John 3.17, we looked at this one at our sermon prep last week. John 3.17, listen, you know 3.16, listen to 17. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. The heartbeat of God is that we truly would repent. At this time, we actually cut the sermon off for people that might listen to it online and I'm going to do what we've been doing. What are your thoughts? What are your reactions? But thank you for the feedback um, that you have given and let's wrestle with this um, together as we move forward. As a part of my sermon today, I was going to walk through 2 Corinthians 4 and 5, and I'm not going to do that, but I'm letting you know it uh, because it would be good maybe for you to go spend some time in 2 Corinthians 4 and 5 just because it reminds us. There are several verses there that reminds us. We think in the short term. We think in the world. We think in this life of ours, and we don't necessarily think about eternity. Uh, we're so short-sighted, and we, you know, we're thinking about our how many years that we have on earth and what's that going to look like when Jesus is saying you know seek first the kingdom you know for, seek first the kingdom of God all these other things are going to take care of themselves but we have to have an eternal uh, perspective I've got a friend who's very much an unbeliever and I pray for him regularly and a couple of weeks ago he looked at me and he said okay Jerry I've got a question for you what's the difference between religion and spirituality 
I'm like, okay, well, no one's ever asked me that before. Let's, let's talk about that. So we talked about religion, which we spend a lot of time talking about in here. So religion and morality, that's an easy topic for me because I feel like that that's kind of what I grew up under. Here's the rules. Do these things. Don't do these things. And if you do it well, you will be presented before God and he will be pleased with you. Scripture says the exact opposite. You know, remember, the law only reveals our sin to us. I didn't know what coveting was until the law said, thou shalt not covet, and now I covet all the time. So I can't keep up with the rules. My only hope is the finished work of Jesus Christ. But in spirituality, that one was a little bit tougher, and I was able to share with him the truth of the matter is there's spirituality all over the world. You know, everybody is spiritual to some degree because there's this understanding of this thing that you see on the outside is not really who we are because it doesn't, it doesn't compute the ability that we have to love and to be loved, to hurt, to be jealous, you know, to be fearful. The, where do these emotions come from? They come from this inner part of who we really are, which is our spirit, which is the fact that we have a soul that is going to live forever. And at the end of the day, we are eternal beings. And when we hear eternal life, we think about duration of time. And Jesus says it's about this relationship that you have with me. There is eternal life, but there is eternal destruction. It's good news. You know, it's gospel. It's really, really good news, which means that there's hope for all of those things because if we do believe, if we do follow him, we do possess eternal life, which includes eternal forgiveness, eternal reconciliation, eternal redemption, eternal righteousness, eternal, eternal glorification. It truly is good news. But for those who are rejecting it, what they're saying is, I choose not to believe, but I also reject the punishment that comes with my lack of belief. Well, that's not going to change anything. You can reject it all day long, but it's not going to change the facts as they are, which takes us back to what Gillette Penn asked, is do we really believe to begin with? Okay, I'm going to close this out with a syllogism. Anybody know what a syllogism is? Okay, okay, a syllogism is, I'm a little nerdy here because we taught this stuff at Providence Academy, but a syllogism is basically a math problem with words, okay? So let me give you an example, and then we'll look at this one. So when this, this is, you, you have to change the, the words around to make them nouns, and it, I won't do it properly, but this is an example. So when Scripture says, um, those who live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, and that's what scripture says. Those who live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Then you can say, okay, so Christians who are godly livers at some point in time are persecuted Christians. That's your first premise. The second premise would say, well, I'm a Christian, but I'm never persecuted. And the conclusion would be what? I must not be a godly living Christian. That's what happens. You can just take words and turn it into a math formula because it gives you logic and it gives you a conclusion. Well, John has done the same thing for us. And let's look at it because this is, this is the thing that we need to kind of get our hand, hands around and our head around. The syllogism, major premise is God's given eternal life 
to, and those who have the Son of God have eternal life. A good minor premise would be, I do believe, and I have the Son, and the conclusion would be, therefore, because I have the Son, I have eternal life. Today, in this moment, it's brought, it's brought great peace to my soul, even though I've struggled with point number three or truth number three, um, I've really been blessed by thinking of the fact that one of these days I'm going to be given a new body, but right now I possess eternal life. But here's the negative of that. So the major premise would be God has given eternal life and those who have the Son have eternal life. Minor premise. I don't believe or I reject. And therefore, I do not have the Son. The conclusion is, I do not have eternal life. That's what he's presented to us in this passage in 1 John. So the question of the day is, for all of us, which syllogism represents where you are personally. And I said it last week when we were talking about propitiation. Coming to Redstone Church on a Sunday morning and listening or reading your Bibles or going to a community group will not save us. Only when we repent and we believe the gospel message will we be forgiven and will we be saved. Do we believe and have the Son of God and have eternal life? Or do we not believe and therefore not have the Son of God and therefore not have eternal life? Which takes us back to, and what is eternal life? And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So going back to our first two questions, do you and I truly love Jesus? Good. Question number two is, are people envious of your walk with Jesus when they see it? Because if not, we're not getting it. We're not understanding the fact that all of our sins have been forgiven and do you remember what the last enemy defeated was? You know what 1 Corinthians 15 tells us the last enemy that was defeated was? Somebody tell me. Anybody? It was death. The last enemy to be defeated was death. Where, de where oh death, is your victory? Where is your sting? It's gone. Christians, if we really believe this, we don't have to fear death anymore. Do you see that? You know, as someone who's had some health issues in the past year and a half, it changes everything. We possess eternal life. We are forgiven of all of our sins. And if these things are true, they should permeate our being and flow out of us so that people see it and they say whatever that is I want it and they don't see it because we're failing church we're failing we must do better we possess eternal life 
There is a lost and dying world that needs to see this. And we're scared to say anything to them because we don't know how to go from G to O to S. Let's figure it out. We must do better. I told you this sermon, it's rocked my world this week. I just wanted to get something together so I could present it to you and I could walk away and say, there, I'm glad that's over with. And Jesus said, no. You need to help them to understand what eternal life is and what rejection of belief in Jesus Christ is and then it is up to us to do something with that. And I pray that God would convict our hearts and that we would prove the Gillette pins in this world wrong because we'll do whatever it takes to reach people that are not believers. Let's bow in prayer. I'll be quiet. I've talked enough. Just listen to the Lord. Lord, we give this time to you. I pray that you would do whatever work that you want to do in this little church and the people that are a part of this little church that we call Redstone Church Elizabethan. We believe that you're trying to do something special amongst us. Make us willing to be a part of it. Change our hearts, change our minds, change the way we think about eternal life. Change the way that we think about our neighbors and our family members. Have your way with us.